right. Well, again, I'm glad that we were able to gather together this morning and worship in the house of the Lord. But today, as we turn our attention to God's Word, we return to the book of Revelation. And so turn with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation 10, whether you have one of your Revelation notebooks or you have your own copy of God's Word, here we return in this study we're doing through this series in the book of Revelation. And of course, here in the book of Revelation, we have seen how filled it is with the judgment of God against wickedness. Yet if we only dwell on the judgment of God, we miss the very reason why God has given us this book. Because Revelation gives us the hope to persevere through our struggles and our suffering by showing us that Christ will triumph over the world's opposition and demonic forces and all human wickedness so that we will one day join with him in a glorious future, free from all problems and all pain and all persecution. So this morning, in the midst of God's judgment coming down through the trumpets, we find him stopping to remind us of this hope that we have and to restore in us a confidence in Christ while we wait for the fullness of our salvation to come in him. So with this in mind, let us then read together Revelation chapter 10, where the apostle John writes, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And as he declared to his servants, the prophets... Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us again approach the throne of our Lord in prayer. 
Oh, Father, we pray that you will speak to us this morning through your word as it is preached. And that even in these difficult words of revelation, we will find the very encouragement that you give to our souls through Jesus Christ. May your word have its full effect in our lives, Lord. May you, through your spirit, open our minds and our hearts to then hear and understand and receive and rejoice in these truths. So that we can live out lives in gratitude for the salvation we have received in Christ and we will receive finally and fully when he returns. Lord, I ask that you will simply use me as a vessel through which your word is made known. May your strength through the Spirit come in and have its full effect in the lives of those who are gathered, even through my own weakness, Father. May Christ be magnified as your word is proclaimed. And so we ask all these things then in His glorious name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, what do we see then through this chapter of Scripture? That our salvation in Christ will come through God's judgment against wickedness. Our salvation in Christ will come through God's judgment against wickedness. And this is seen through three reassuring truths that are given to us as we struggle and suffer in this world. First, we find in this chapter how God's deliverance is sure. God's deliverance is sure. But second, we see how God's timing is determined. God's timing is determined. Finally, we see that God's word is bittersweet. God's word is bittersweet. So God's deliverance is sure. God's timing is determined. God's word is bittersweet. Let's begin then by considering the first of these reassuring truths that God's deliverance is sure in verses 1 to 4. Of course, the Apostle John here has been recording these symbolic visions of prophecy that are revealed by God to encourage Christ's churches as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. And during this revelation, John sees the prayers of persecuted Christians who are killed for their faith as martyrs as these prayers are brought up from the altar in the heavenly temple before God's throne by a priestly angel. And God answers their calls for justice by releasing seven angels with seven trumpets to bring his judgment against this cursed and corrupt world and against sinful humanity who dwells on the earth. So it's through these trumpet judgments then that we find God destroying and tormenting and killing one third of his creation. Yet in even this destruction and torment and death, he limits these judgments to a third so that 
sinful humanity is given an opportunity to turn away from their sin and rebellion against God and repentance. Yet at the end of the sixth trumpet, do you remember what happened? Mankind remained unrepentant as they continued to rebel against God in both idolatry and immorality. Now, earlier in these visions, God pressed the pause button between Christ opening the sixth and seventh seals of the scroll of God's plan of redemption so that his people in Christ's churches would be shown our protection and preservation through the coming of his wrath and judgment. But now, in between the sixth and the seventh trumpets, God again hits the pause button between the sounding of these trumpets in order to show his faithfulness to us when these judgments come. So as this chapter begins, John reports seeing another mighty angel who comes down from heaven. Back in chapter 5, there was a mighty angel who proclaimed with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? Which then leads to Christ who comes forward and takes the scroll and opens the seals. But now another mighty angel appears. And who could this angel be? Well, some believe that he's the great archangel Gabriel. Since there are parallels between this chapter and Daniel 12, where the archangel Michael makes an oath to God. And the name Gabriel means strong man of God. But since this angel is never named, I think the identification here seems somewhat speculative. Others believe that this strong angel or this mighty angel is Christ himself because the descriptions here seem to match the descriptions that were earlier given of Jesus in the opening vision of Revelation chapter 1. But it's hard for me to believe that Christ here is revealed as an angel. He's nowhere else seen as an angel in Revelation or Scripture because he's bigger than the angels. He's, he's supreme over the angels. He's the second person of the divine trinity, God the Son. So I don't think this mighty angel is Christ. Who then is this mighty angel? Well, I think the answer comes when we look at the beginning and the end of this book. So you, if, you, if you look back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse, what do we read? But the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he, that is Christ, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Or we look to the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. These final words of Jesus, and what does he say? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So you see, this mighty angel serves Christ, and he reflects Christ's glory as he delivers Christ's church through the temptations and trials and tribulations of this world. Consider then how this angel is symbolically described here in chapter 10. But, 
before we do remember that through these chapters, we find that, that Christians are the true Israel of God who are in a greater exodus, which is why there are then these parallels between the temple or between the trumpet judgments in chapters 8 and 9 with the Egyptian plagues that we find in the book of Exodus. You see, after Israel was freed from slavery to Egypt, do you remember what happened? Well, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And how were they guided in the wilderness until they reached the promised land? Well, we read in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, these words. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And how is this mighty angel described? He's clothed with a cloud. And he has feet like pillars of fire. Do you see then how this angel will lead Christ's church through the spiritual wilderness of this time of tribulation to the great promised land of the new heavens and the new earth? But how else is he described? The angel has a rainbow on his head. Where do we first see a rainbow in Scripture? Genesis chapter 9. After God delivered Noah in an ark from his floodwaters of judgment against sinful humanity. So when Noah leaves the ark to enter into a new creation, God enters into covenant with him and hangs a rainbow in the sky as a covenant sign. That's why 1 Peter 3 then reminds us that Christ is our ark who saves us from God's judgment for sin. Which is why when we believe in Christ and his death on the cross for us, we identify with him in baptism. Where our sinful selves come under the waters of judgment and we rise again in resurrection life. But with this rainbow then on his head, we see Christ's angel will also lead us through his judgment in this world to enter into our new creation. This is why, then, the angel's face was like the sun. It shone like the sun. Because when Jesus revealed his glory to his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, do you remember what they saw? That his face shone like the sun. And in the opening vision of Revelation, Christ's face was like the sun shining in its strength as well. So here we see how the glory of Christ is now reflected in this angel or by this angel. So I appreciate how Jim Hamilton summarizes what's taking place here when he writes, Just as Israel was led out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land by the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, so now in Revelation an angel who is wrapped in a cloud and has legs like pillars of fire is going to lead God's people. Just as Israel was led to Mount Sinai, where God revealed himself to Israel and gave them his word, so this angel in chapter 10 is going to give God's word to John. Do you see then how these 
truths connect how what happens in the Old Testament is now fulfilled in a greater way in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation here. So as John looks at this mighty angel, he sees that in his hand is a little book that's opened. And while some doubt that this little book is the scroll that began in God's right hand in chapter 5, I believe it's clear that this is a continuation of what God has seen here in his, or what John has seen here in his visions so far. Remember, God the Father has the scroll. It's sealed as he sits on the throne in chapter 4. And then Christ takes the scroll because he is worthy and begins to open the seals as the chapters continue. Which means what about the scroll now? The seals are broken. The scroll is open. Which is why it now lays open in his angel's hand. So that Christ's church will know what will happen to them as God's plan will unfold in judgment against this world. Why then is this scroll now seen as a little book? Well, it could refer to the portion of the scroll that is written about Christ's churches in God's plan of redemption. Or it could simply speak of its size in comparison to how large this angel is. I mean, look at his size here in this chapter. This mighty angel stands with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. I mean, this is a giant angel. And John would be looking up from earth high into the sky to see this angel standing there with an open book in his hand. But as this angel stands... We see his great authority because in the Bible, when someone puts their foot on something, it means they have authority over it. So this angel shows his dominion over the whole world, both the sea and the land. And what is about to take place in the world? Listen to what we read in Psalm 95, verse 5 of the Lord God. We read that the sea is his for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So whether sea or land, all the earth is under God's sovereign control. And when this angel's feet, like pillars of fire, are set on the sea and on the land, we find the angel then revealing that Christ has conquered these elements of creation for his glory and for the good of his church. Next, John then hears this great angel, this mighty angel, speak as he cries out with a loud voice, which through revelation brings important news. But this cry is especially important because it sounds like a lion's roar, which is far greater than the roar of the opening of an MGM movie or the roar of a lion in a nature documentary. Because the Old Testament prophets, Joel, Amos, and Hosea all refer to the Lord roaring like a lion when he speaks. So here we have this angel speaking the words of God to John. And remember that John saw Jesus as a lion and a lamb in chapter 5, which is why Christ's roar here is now calling out 
and speaking through this angel. But if that is not loud enough, there are seven voices of thunder that respond. Now, obviously, you don't take these things literally, since thunder doesn't have a voice, but seven here is the number of completeness and perfection, as we've seen over and over again in Revelation. And thunder often accompanies the voice of God in Scripture. So you see, these verses echo Psalm 29, which we began our worship with this morning, where the God of glory thunders. And seven times the power of the voice of the Lord is seen through creation in the psalm. Well, here then we have the seven thunders of the Lord's voice again, crying out. Yet when John is about to write down these, what these seven voices of the thunders have spoken, another voice comes from heaven and forbids it. And instead of writing what is said down, they say it is, he says it is to remain sealed. But of course, this hasn't stopped Christians through the years and the centuries and various scholars trying to explain what these voices of thunder mean. The truth is we simply don't know what has been said or why it was said. We don't know what's been sealed or why it was sealed. But through this command to John, we must recognize that God is in control of whatever will come, whether it's revealed to us or not. And that God has chosen not to reveal everything to us. See, God's revelation doesn't show us everything that's coming. But he has revealed to us everything we need to know until the end of this age, which is why we trust God until it's all unsealed and made clear. As we reflect upon this truth of, of this mighty angel who delivers God's people through this time of judgment, how reassuring this mighty angel of Christ is. Because for all believers in Christ, listen, we are being led to our eternal home to enjoy life in God's presence. His angel is standing on the sea and the land, reminding us that everything in this world is under Jesus' feet. So no matter what happens in this world, no matter how difficult the days may become, no matter how long it may be until this age comes to an end, listen, our deliverance is sure. The first reassuring truth from this chapter of Scripture. Let's consider then the second reassuring truth that's given in verses 5 to 7, where God's timing is determined. Its timing is determined. As I mentioned before, what happens in these verses is similar to what we read in Daniel 12, verse 7. Listen to what Daniel said. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who is above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. 
And so too here in Revelation, a mighty angel raises his right hand to take an oath. Now in a courtroom, you raise your right hand while placing your left hand on the Bible and are asked, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? But this practice builds on what we find in Scripture, which often shows that the way you accept personal responsibility is by raising your hand and swearing an oath. And you know something interesting? Even God himself raises his hand to swear an oath that justice will come in Deuteronomy 32, verse 40. But here, John witnesses Christ's angel in a heavenly swearing-in ceremony. But instead of him swearing on the Bible, what does he swear on? God himself. God himself is our eternal creator, as he's described first then, he swears on God because God is eternal. That he lives forever and ever and is in control over all human history to accomplish his redemptive plan through this age. And not only does he swear on God because he is eternal, he swears on God because God is the creator. Because he is the one who created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He is the creator of all. And... He is the one who will bring them to an end with his mighty power at the end of the age. So when this angel swears an oath by raising his hand, what does he swear? That there will be no more delay. There will be no more delay. You know, when Christ opened the fifth seal... The martyrs cried out in prayer, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And do you remember how God replied? He replied to them by saying, A little longer. How long, O Lord? A little longer. It was said to them they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and the brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. But now what does John hear? No longer. No longer. The time has come. So when the days come for the seventh angel to sound his trumpet, the end of this age will finally arrive and God's judgment and justice through his judgment will come at last. That's why John then writes that at this time, the mystery of God will be finished. See, God's redemptive plan was at first hidden in the mind of God as a mystery, but it was then revealed through his prophets, through scripture to those with the ears to hear. But John is told then that this time of the end, which God declared to his prophets, will finally be fulfilled in Christ as he brings judgment on the wicked and salvation to his people. That's why we read in 
the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 9 to 10, that God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So I ask you, are you ready for this trumpet judgment to sound? Are you ready for this final trumpet to sound at the end of this age when God's judgment comes? Because listen, either God's judgment will come upon you in your sin or God's judgment has come upon Christ for you as he has taken the very wrath of God upon himself for your sin through his death on the cross. We find here that God's timing is determined. It will not change. It is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because not only is this time given to reveal to us the judgment of God? But it reveals to us the love of God who has given Christ for our salvation. Oh, look to Christ and be saved by turning away from your sins and by turning to Christ in faith. It is in Christ that our, we will not face this coming judgment because he has taken this very judgment upon himself. Believe in Christ and be saved from the judgment to come because God's deliverance is sure and his timing is determined. But finally, there's one last reassuring truth we have in this chapter that God's word is bittersweet. We read of this in verses 8 to 11, where John again hears from the voice of heaven, which says to him, go and take this open book from the hand of the angel. Now, you know what's interesting is this means John changes. He, he, he moves from being an observer of what is taking place to a participant in God's revelation. What we have here then is really a divine commissioning service where God gives John both a message and a mission, which shows us that these words that we receive from the Apostle John are not simply his own personal beliefs, and they're not simply his own strange dreams that are recorded for us to puzzle over. But Christ gives his church God's word to read and to hear and to keep these things that are written. Which is why his word comes to us through the faithful ministry of the apostles, including the apostle John. This then is why John immediately obeys this voice from heaven, right? And he approaches the mighty angel to ask for the book. But do you notice the progress then of the scroll now through these chapters of Revelation? 
It begins as a sealed scroll in the right hand of God who is seated on his heavenly throne. And then Christ is worthy to take this scroll, so he opens its seals and then gives it to his angel. And this mighty angel then brings the scroll to earth where it is lays open in his hand. And finally, like Christ the Lamb took the scroll from God's hand, now the Apostle John takes the scroll from the hand of Christ's angel. This progress that takes place as the revelation continues. And once John takes this scroll, he's told to take it and eat it. And when he eats it, he's told two things will happen. That it will make his stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in his mouth. But as we so often see in Revelation, there are these ties, these connections with what has taken place before in the Old Testament. And this commissioning of John here parallels the commissioning of another prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel in chapters Ezekiel 2 and 3, where God himself calls Ezekiel as a prophet to speak these words of judgment. So let's listen to this commissioning service in the Old Testament with the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 2, verse 9. I'll read then through Ezekiel 3, verse 4. Listen to the words of the prophet Ezekiel. He writes, Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Does this sound familiar? Continue. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly, and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness." Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. So this scroll first tastes sweet, like honey. But what was written on it? Words of judgment, lamentations and mourning and woe, because this was a warning that was to be given to God's people Israel. But what happens next? Listen to Ezekiel 3, verses 12 to 14. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit. So what do we have here? The taste goes from sweet in his mouth to bitter in his stomach. Why? Because of God's message of judgment. And you see, like Israel, or sorry, like Ezekiel, now John is given a prophetic task where he is to take this revelation of God's plan of redemption and prophesy its message. 
the world. What happens when you eat food? Of course, you ingest it. You take the food into your body and digest it so that you are nourished and have energy to keep living, right? Well, in a similar way, to eat this scroll means to take its message to heart so that its message will then give the soul nutrition and energy to continue living in the midst of our struggles and our suffering in this world, which is why John is told to eat this scroll. And of course, it would be odd to eat a scroll, right? Children, you may eat many things, but I doubt many of you are eager to eat a book taken off the shelf of your library at home. Yet again, these are symbolic images to reflect upon what it means to ingest and eat and digest the truths that God reveals to us. And when John does so, what happens? But eating the book is bittersweet. Why? Why was eating this book bittersweet for John? Well, I'm thankful for uh, George Eldon Ladd as he summarizes the meaning here. He writes, The full counsel of God contains a word of judgment as well as mercy. And the messenger of the gospel must be faithful to both aspects of his message. But the man who knows the love of God and the compassion of Christ can never take delight in preaching the wrath of God or find satisfaction of spirit in proclaiming divine judgments. But he must always do this with a broken heart, with a bitter spirit, following the example of his Lord who wept over those upon whom God's judgment was to fall. Do you see why God's word is bittersweet? Oh, how it's sweet to our souls when we receive the precious truths of our salvation through Jesus Christ. But how bitter it is for us to know that God's judgment is coming against the wicked and how many of them will suffer under God's judgment because of their rebellion against God and sin. So now that this message has entered into John's body and been digested, he's told to prophesy this final judgment of God about the many peoples and nations and tongues and kings of the earth. And notice it says in John 10 that he must prophesy because the coming of salvation through judgment must be made known both as a warning to sinners and as a reassuring word to saints. God's plan then of salvation is now open for Christ's church to receive reassurance, even while we wait for it to be completed through our struggles and suffering in this world. How precious then God's word is to our soul. Since John has recorded this book of prophecy for Christ church may we too eat and delight in its message even as we lament and mourn the judgment that is to come upon unrepentant sinners 
So what has God shown us then this morning here through his word? That our salvation in Christ will come through God's judgment against the wicked. Our salvation in Christ will come through God's judgment against the wicked. And this is seen through three reassuring truths for Christians as we struggle and suffer in this world. First, we see that God's deliverance is sure. Second, that God's timing is determined. And third, that God's word is bittersweet. May this then give us the hope to persevere in Christ. It's when we lose sight of Christ and when we fail to recognize our part in God's plan of redemption, this heavenly perspective is lost. Which is why these prophetic words of John are recorded for us in Revelation. And why it is truly a blessing to our souls to read and study and keep the words that are given to us by John. May we then have these reassuring truths in the midst of the reality of the judgment of God that comes upon wickedness in this world. Because we will be delivered this age is temporary. And we find then in God's word the very bittersweet message that satisfies our soul. The great promises of God and the blessings to come when He returns. Let us then remember this hope in Christ and have our confidence in Him restored while we wait for the fullness of our salvation to come in Him. Revelation is a book to give us this hope to persevere through the struggle and suffering of life until the great day when Christ returns in the future eternity is entered into where all of the temptations and, and trials and troubles and tribulations of life will be forever behind us. May we live with this future in mind, secure in our salvation in Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Oh, Father, how easily it is for us to neglect and even forget that our hope is in the future glory that Christ will bring when he returns. Father, living in this world is hard. We struggle and suffer in many ways. But in the midst of 
these hardships in the midst of such struggles and suffering. May we find in Christ the very satisfaction of our souls. May we find in Christ the very joy of our lives. Even as we wait for Your judgment to come down against the wicked. May these words be a, to us then be bittersweet. Bitter because of sinful humanity's obstinance in their sin and the love of sin. But sweet in our mouths as we are reminded of the sweetness of your word, from the sweetness of your word, of, of the greatness of Christ's salvation. And so, Father, we pray then for all these things in the name of our sweet Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.